Hey, this is Stephen, and I want to welcome you or welcome you back to the Grove Church Podcast. For more information or to find more resources like this one, be sure to visit us at grove.org. Thanks for listening, and I hope the following message is encouraging and meaningful to your life. Well, again, good morning. We are in week two of a sermon series called Keys to the Kingdom. Now, if you missed last week, I want to encourage you to go back and watch. And the reason is this, not just because I want you to go back and catch up, but because we covered about 6,000 years of religious history and theology in about 29 minutes. So just that feat alone is worth just watching, but it'll help you kind of understand a little bit about what's going on throughout the course of this series. And it really gives you a foundation to build upon because we'll be talking about this idea of God's kingdom again and again and again over the coming weeks. And if you're like, Stephen, there's no chance I'm actually going to do that. Let me recap for you a little bit this morning. So what we talked about is there was this idea that began in the Garden of Eden. The first pages of Genesis, God creates humanity in his image. And he says, listen, you have one job. That's to help me rule and reign over all the earth. That idea was understood to be called the kingdom of God. It wasn't referring to a physical place exclusively, but more a location where the activity of God, where the way that people were living and acting was in accordance with the will of God. And so God looks down at humanity who he created in his own image and he says, listen, you got one job. Just help me kind of make this thing happen. And he puts us in charge and leaves us kind of in this middle management position. And he says, all right, go for it. And then it takes about two chapters in Genesis for us to get this wrong and mess it up. And so then the rest of basically the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures is this story of God trying to help humanity regain an understanding of what it means to bring about, to help participate in, to help usher in this idea of the kingdom of God. This way where everyone could live in accordance to and along with God's will for the earth. Now, What we see happen is Jesus shows up and he uses this very same language. He picks up exactly where God started in Eden. And he says this, he says, repent for the kingdom of God is here. Now that word repent simply means this, change the way that you're living, change the way that you're thinking, change your hearts, your minds, your lives in response to this news that God's activity, God's reign, God's rule over all the earth It's here now, it's available for you to participate in now. And so this is kind of the whole idea underneath all of Jesus's teaching, underneath all of his ministry was to go about to help people identify, recognize and participate in the kingdom of God. And so again and again and again throughout the gospel of Matthew, you see Jesus using this term, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of the heavens because it is the central idea to his life and ministry. He comes to help us understand how we can participate in bringing about God's rule here on earth. And that's kind of where we left off last week. And so this week we're picking up where Jesus leaves off here. So immediately after he shows up on the scene and he announces all of this, he begins to do a little bit of teaching. He begins to do a little bit of healing. And so as he's healing people, different types of people start to show up because they're in need of healing. Now, this is where it starts to get interesting because as religious people, we always are inclined to have opinions about who's in and who's out of this idea called religion. 
Take for example, about four months ago, a man named Kanye West released a gospel album and everybody had an opinion on it, particularly the religious people, particularly the church people. And they kind of fell into one or two camps. This is awesome. It's amazing. More people are going to be exposed to the message of Jesus. I'm so glad he did it. Regardless of his intent or his purpose or what he hopes to gain from it, this is a great thing for the church, for God, for the kingdom of God. This is awesome. Way to go, Kanye. And then the other group, perhaps a slightly larger group, was a little skeptical. Oh, what is he doing using Jesus' name? He's got no business. Have you heard his other albums? This guy's awful. He says crazy things. He lives in a crazy way. He's got no business being affiliated with what God is doing, what Jesus is doing. He's just using it as a publicity stunt and on and on and on we go. Now, for somebody who loves both the church and Kanye, at least his music, I thought this was particularly interesting. Now, I can already feel some of you going, I knew we shouldn't come to this church. I had a suspicion about this guy. Listen, it just, it was a formative period of my life. I, was, it, I liked the sounds, not the lyrics. It was mostly the beat that I enjoyed. But I really liked his gospel album because it finally was his music and lyrics I could approve of. But anyway, that's not the point. The whole point is that we have a lot of opinions about who's in and who's out. And for each of us, we use a different set of criteria to determine who should be in and who, who should be out. So if we compared our lists of what qualifies, makes somebody eligible to participate, our lists would all look very different. For some of us, it would be about what you do in your personal lives. It might be the language that you use. It might be the way that you spend your money. For some of us, it might be how many times you attend church or how often you read your Bible or how do you pray or what do you say when you pray and how long are your prayers? Are they longer than a minute? Or We'd all have different qualifications for who's in and who's out. Now, this is exactly what happens throughout the story of kind of God's people, the people of Israel. God sets them on this mission to bring about God's reign. And immediately they start to use these rules that God gave them to help them do that as a way to discern and distinguish who's in and who's out. The more of the rules that you would follow, the more of the rules that you got right, the more likely a candidate you were to be included in God's kingdom. The less that you did, if you dropped a rap album that didn't have good language in it, you were going to be included in the out category. And on and on and on this went. Now, inevitably what happens to a group of people who focus on rules is the rules inevitably end up advantaging the rule followers. And so as they double down on the rules, it excludes more and more people. Uh, this happens to me when I play board games. Maybe you like to play board games. I do. Uh, and the reason I like to play board games is uh, I'm a competitive person and I find that I'm usually pretty good at them. And so I care a lot about the rules and board games. And the reason is because it advantages me. If we follow the rules, I typically, generally, depending on who I'm playing with, have an advantage, a competitive advantage across all the other people because the rules serve me because I know how to use the rules to my advantage. I know which rules to ignore, which rules to follow, kind of the tips and the tricks and the secrets. To, oh, I didn't know you could get $400 when you pass go. All of the little subtle things that when you're well-versed in the rules become clear to you. So that means that anybody else who plays with me doesn't really have that good of a time because I'm trying, my brother can attest to this. See, 
the more that I try to focus on the rules to help my position, to create a greater advantage for myself, the less enjoyable and the less accessible the game becomes to other people. This is exactly what happened with religion in the very first century, this kind of context in which Jesus steps onto the scene. The people who were advantaged by the rules wanted to make sure that everybody followed the rules. Why? Because it served them. It was good for them. But over time, what these rules would do is they excluded more and more people and they created a greater and greater disadvantage for some of these people. And so Jesus shows up and he's got this message about the availability of God's activity. God's rule is here now. And he, he begins to teach about it and he begins to immediately heal people, to live it out, to act it out, what it would mean, what it would look like for God's kingdom to be present. And so people who were sick or diseased or had emotional baggage, they would all come to Jesus and he would heal them. And so as he did that, they would run off and tell their friends who were afflicted with similar or differing conditions. And more and more people begin to gather around Jesus. And you could imagine if you'd been suffering with an illness or a condition, or if you found yourself on the out group of people when it came to religion, you like this guy because he lets you come close and he would heal you and he would do things that would change the way that you felt about yourself and the way that you experienced life. He actually brought health and wholeness to people who had never experienced it before. That made him wildly popular with a particular group of people and wildly unpopular with the people who cared about the rules. So this is the backdrop of Jesus and his teachings. And this is the backdrop of these next words that we're gonna look at for Jesus. So you can imagine Jesus is crowded around all these sick people, sick physically, sick mentally, sick emotionally, sick spiritually, all of these infirmed people are crowding around Jesus because for once they've got a shot at winning the game. And he says this, blessed are, or blessed are. Now for us, this word seems a little strange. We think, well, blessed means that God kind of gives you a gift. It's kind of like Santa Claus. It's something that you didn't deserve, but it shows up out of nowhere. And like, typically it's financial or it's an opportunity or something like that. Now, when Jesus uses this word and when he said it to his audience, what the original audience heard was not like, uh, like a favor God did for you. It indicated the highest state of well-being that humanity, humanity could have possible. It was like your ideal life, everything as it should be. If you were blessed, you were living in the best possible way. You had access to the fullness of life. And particularly it meant in relationship with God. Now that's important because we often miss this part of Jesus's teaching. Now what's going to follow and the words that we're going to look at after this are among the most famous in all of scripture. And I would argue perhaps the most confusing. And in a moment, I'll show you why. So Jesus says, blessed are. And then he begins to list people who fall under this category of blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. We're almost at the end. Blessed are the peacemakers, 
for they will be called children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, upon first hearing this and how it's often interpreted is Jesus gives us a new list of things to do. Become poor in spirit, become peacemakers, become meek, become merciful. And then all of the promises that are associated with it. If you do this, then you will get this. If you are poor in spirit, then you will have access to the kingdom of God. If you are a peacemaker, then you will be called a child of God. Now, the problem with this is this wouldn't be new information for the people who are listening to Jesus's message. They were familiar with rules. We've already talked about this. There were a whole lot of rules, over 600 rules that they were supposed to follow. And so on first blush, is Jesus just giving us a new list of rules for things to do, ways to become? Well, to answer that confusion and to clarify whether or not this is something that we're supposed to go out and do and try to become, Jesus says simply this, right after he teaches this, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. In short, I'm not giving you a new set of rules. I'm helping clarify the rules that you've already had, which is good news for us because many of us, we read that list of things to do and we're like, that would make me terrible at business. I would be like the worst lawyer in Dallas if I became merciful and meek. Like that wouldn't help my bottom line. And so we see this list of to-dos and we do one of two things. We either like drastically alter the way that we live and can, can try to contort ourselves to follow this new set of commands or we just disregard it because it's like, well, that was just Jesus doing his like nice guy thing and it's not really that relevant for me because that's not how the world works. And so you gotta ask the question like, surely Jesus meant more than this. Surely Jesus meant more for us in this teaching than just some idea that, you know, we could use if it was convenient or discard if it wasn't suitable to the way that we live our lives, which is true. But there's another way that we kind of misunderstand this passage. We look at these characteristics, these conditions that people can find themselves in, and we elevate them. We think Jesus is affirming these attributes. He's saying you should be like this. And so you look at this list and I've condensed it for us. And you say, blessed are the poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, those who desire righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, the persecuted. And we think that Jesus is saying, hey, in my world, in my kingdom, this is how you're supposed to be. You're supposed to become like these people. And so what we do is we turn these conditions into these like idealistic, oh, I need to become more peaceful. I need to become more merciful. I need to become meek. Now, some of those things would be positive in our lives, but what this approach often does is it overinflates the value of these conditions. So let me give you one example of another way to translate blessed are the poor in spirit. This is probably a better translation for our audience today. When Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the, those who mourn and the meek and the so forth, his audience understood probably more accurately what he was trying to convey. And in a moment, I'll make it even clearer. But for us, Jesus's teachings on the Beatitudes, particularly blessed are the poor in spirit, might be framed best this way. He said, blessed are the spiritually bankrupt, deprived and deficient, the spiritual beggars, 
those who don't have a lick of religion, the people who don't know how to pray, and when you ask them to pray, they have a heart attack because they don't know what to say. The people who don't have a Bible and can't find their Bible. The people who never go to church and feel intimidated in church. The people that don't think that they're good enough for religion. The people that think God's forgotten them. The people that they think they might as well just go on living without religion because it would nev- they would never be good enough to participate in. Blessed are they when the kingdom comes upon them. When you look at it in this light, when you look at it through this lens, what you see is Jesus is not elevating a set of conditions that we should aspire to. And so if you do this across all of the different beatitudes that Jesus lists, the list might actually look something more like this. Blessed are the spiritually bankrupt. Blessed are the depressed and inconsolable, the intimidated and unassertive, the overzealous, the too lenient and the too forgiving, the exhausting perfectionists, those unwilling to pick a side, and the whistleblowers. Now, when we frame it this way, there's less urgency or desire within us to want to find ourselves on this list. We recognize that Jesus has to be doing something more than giving us a new set of rules. He has to be doing something more than trying to invert who we think's in and out and elevating these unenviable conditions. And that's precisely because he is. Now, let's go back and think about what happened right before Jesus begins this teaching. He shows up on the scene and he announces that God's activity in the world is now available here and now. And he begins to demonstrate what this would look like in people's lives. He begins to heal people, the outcasts, the overlooked, the sat upon and spat upon, all of the people that religion in that time had cast aside. And they begin to come to him And they begin to find healing and wholeness in him. And so he has this huge gathering of people around him. And he ascends the top of a hill and he begins to teach. See, the way that we teach nowadays is we try to impart knowledge to kind of fill up our little knowledge cup. And maybe some point it translates into action. But think about Jesus' language when he announces the arrival of the kingdom. He says, repent. He says, change your hearts and your minds and your lives. Jesus is not teaching for wisdom and knowledge. Jesus is teaching for life change, for transformation, for a renovation of the heart, for the way that people live and experience and act in the world. And so when Jesus offers this teaching, he's not trying to give new wisdom for people, new knowledge for people to interpret. It's actually a form of show and tell. So imagine this Star Wars bar of an audience gathered around Jesus. And he's saying, blessed are the spiritual bankrupt." the depressed and inconsolable, the overzealous, the too lenient, the too forgiving, the exhausting perfectionist, those unwilling to pick a side, the whistleblowers. He's likely talking about categories of people that were present in the audience gathered at his feet. Jesus is talking to the types of people that the kingdom of God is available to. Now what this would have done, and it would have caused everybody to murmur and kind of go back and forth because this expanded the kingdom to include people that religion had not included. This would be like Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is available to Kanye West, particularly if you have a strong opinion about Kanye West or all of the people who might be like them. Jesus is saying there is no human condition 
that is beyond the kingdom of God. And he uses his immediate audience to teach us this. He says really clearly, it doesn't matter what your life looks like, how you'd be categorized, whose set of rules that you follow or don't follow, no one, no human condition is excluded in blessedness. The kingdom of God is available for every category and type of person. And for those of people who find themselves in the excluded category, this was incredible news. Now here's the problem for religious people. We don't feel like that's fair. We feel like we've earned inclusion in the kingdom. We followed enough rules. We've done enough things right. We've gained enough bonus points in this cosmic scorekeeping that God does, or we assume God does, to be able to have an opinion about who should be in and who should be out. And Jesus looks at this audience filled with religious people and people who could never hope to be religious and people who try and fail to be religious. And he says, let me help you understand something. The kingdom of God extends to every possible human condition. So as we begin to think about how we think about who this extends to, does it feel like hope? Does it feel like hope to you that no human condition is excluded? No human condition is beyond hope. If it does, then that's the point. And if it doesn't, then let me ask you this question. For you, who's on the list? Who does, not, who does this not exclude, extend to? Who doesn't make the cut in your mind? Is it people who vote opposite of you? Is it people who decide that they don't want to live the way that you live? Is it people who don't look like you, smell like you, sound like you, dress like you? Is it the poor? Is it the homeless? Is it the HIV infected? The STD inflicted? The illegitimately conceived? Those who got pregnant too soon? Those who could never become pregnant? Those who their children are on the streets, those who leave their parents in nursing homes never to care for them? Who are the people for you that make the list? Who are the people that if you were being really honest today, you say they don't count, they don't get in? Who's on your list? Because Jesus says that no human condition is beyond hope. No human condition exists beyond blessedness. Now, if this doesn't feel like hope for you, give me 15 seconds. Because you and me, we're on the list too. We're just not that honest about it. In some category or many categories of our lives, we make somebody's list. We make the list of ways that we should not be counted in. Ways that if people saw that people were aware of, we wouldn't make the cut. That's why this message was so revolutionary. That's why this message is actually good news for both those who think they're in and those who don't think they're in. Because the reality is, if left to our own device, none of us would make it. Now this is, Jesus is not saying this. Jesus is not saying, it doesn't matter what you do in life, everything is permissible. That's not what he's saying. Don't hear that. 
Don't hear that the kingdom is available to any category of person means that any type of lifestyle is acceptable to God. What it's saying, what Jesus is trying to communicate is that through a personal relationship with him, nobody is beyond hope. Nobody is too far gone for God to reach. And that's why it's such good news. Because whether we realize it or not, we are further than we think. God's hope extends to the people on the list, including us, including the times when we don't want to admit that we're prideful or self-righteous or arrogant or self-centered. Even in those moments when we think that of course we deserve to be on the list, that's when we most are on the list. And Jesus says, no, to all of you, to everyone under the sound of my voice, no human condition is beyond reach. No human condition is beyond hope. And in that way, it changes everything. You see, week one, we answered this question that humanity wrestles with that scripture talks about is which kind of life is the good life? How do we live the best possible life? And we answered it in the idea that it's participating in the kingdom of God. The, another question that humanity wrestles with in scripture answers is who's included? Who has access to this type of good life? And resoundly, Jesus answers, says everybody has access. Everybody is included in this opportunity to participate in the kingdom of God. But it leaves one last question. And that's how. How do you participate in this kingdom? And we'll talk about that next week. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for the good news and the reminder that there is no human condition, including ours, that is beyond your reach, beyond your hope, and beyond access to the kingdom. God, help us to recognize that it is only in you that we have a chance, only in you that we find hope in this life. God, begin to transform our hearts and our minds and our lives. Help us to recognize the opportunity to participate in your kingdom here and now. We love you and we're thankful for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks again for listening. If you live in the Dallas area, we would love for you to visit us. For directions, service times, and more info, visit us at grove.org.